Good morning, everyone. My name is James Murphy. I'm one of uh, your ruling elders. And as Frank um, Pugh said, today's a little bit of an odd day. Uh, I've been here. Um, oh, okay. For the for the live stream. Okay, good. Um, I've been here for about 10 years, a little over nine years, and I think this has happened once since I've been here, and in that case, it was a ruling elder, um, uh, uh, and in that case, it was a teaching elder that um, preached in his place, and I think it's happened a couple other times as well. So it's, it's my honor today um, uh, to read Frank Wong's uh, sermon, and uh, before I do that, I thought I would um, just uh, say a little bit about um, uh, what you're going to be reading today because it's a bit of an odd uh, passage and when uh, Frank Wong called me yesterday uh, around lunchtime and asked me to read his sermon uh, first thing naturally I did is read the passage and uh, this is a this is an odd passage uh, an odd passage for our 21st century eyes and uh, for our understanding of how the church works and 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 how God is uh, ministering to us today in the, in the new covenant and what I want to just uh, remind you is is in this church and really in our denomination, we see continuity between the Old and New Testament. We see the, the strangeness of the ceremonial laws and uh, the laws uh, uh, that God gave the nation of Israel in terms of how, how to live and how to govern and so on. We, we see continuity in, in those things pointing as, as a sign to the cross. And we see Jesus as the fulfillment of the law. We see Jesus as the fulfillment of the ceremonial law. And today we're gonna be reading about um, you know, what to eat and not to eat, and it just seems odd to us. Um, we're gonna read these big lists of, of animals and so on, and, and to kind of help uh, everybody understand, I'm gonna ask Frank Pugh to stand up and do interpretive dance when I'm in the <laughs> middle of that, because I'm just dying to see what, what he's gonna do for ox in the hoopoe in the antelope, and so, I'm just kidding, obviously. Um, uh, but, but it is a strange uh, passage, and uh, I'm thankful that, that Frank is the one that wrote the sermon, and it's a good sermon. I'm glad to read it. But I want you to see that um, Christianity, if you're a visitor, if you're new to this church or new to uh, you know, attending online or something like that, that um, we're not a, a religion or a faith that is all about believing a, a list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts, and therefore somehow earning God's love, somehow... Uh, achieving some level of perfection and obedience that enables God to bless us, right? We're not, we're, we, that's not Christianity, and I hope um, that after we're done here today, you don't get that impression. Frank's gonna show us that uh, the way that we wear, the way that we uh, exemplify and um, uh, represent Christ is really what's in view here. The way that we um, uh, claim his name and, and, and show that we are Christians and wear that name, hopefully, as Christians today, uh, you're out of the closet as Christians. You're not a clandestine Christian, that, um, that people know that you're Christians. And, and we want uh, to encourage you as your session to, to similarly not portray Christianity as a list of rules. And uh, if we're careful, if we're not careful, um, you, can, you can get that from today's reading. But again, the things that we read in terms of the law um, in the Old Testament are, are fulfilled and satisfied and completed in Christ, and so we see again that continuity. Some some churches uh, shy away from teaching Old Testament books, or or pick and choose which books they teach. And here at Potomac Hills and many other PCA churches, 
we teach straight through books and we, we tackle the hard passages and we do the, the confusing and difficult chapters in the stream of things because that's how we believe God calls us to, to handle his word, the full counsel of God. And so um, we're going to do that today and we're gonna, I'm going to be reading from uh, Frank's excellent sermon here in uh, chapter 14 of Deuteronomy and I'll begin to do that now. I encourage you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 14. If you're new or have simply forgotten, we're in the middle of a section of Deuteronomy that applies to the Ten Commandments, applies the Ten Commandments to life in the Promised Land. And remember, the Israelites are sitting on the edge of the Jordan River, preparing to enter the land. We've done the first commandment at length, and last week we saw the second commandment. So unsurprisingly, this morning we've come to the third commandment which is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's read. So Deuteronomy 14, starting in the first verse. If you are the sons of the Lord your God, you shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your forehead for the dead. You are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any abomination. These are the animals you may eat. Now, Frank, this is where you stand up and start wriggling around. Um, These are the animals you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, the mountain sheep, every animal that parts the hoof and has the hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Yet of those that chew the cud or have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these, the camel, the hare, the rock badger, because they chew the cud and, but do not part the hoof are unclean for you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof but does not chew the cud is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat and their carcasses you shall not touch. Of all that are in the waters, you may eat these, Whatever has fins and scales, you may eat. Whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. You may eat all clean birds, but these are the ones you shall not eat. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl and the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, and the cormorant the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. All winged insects are unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. All clean winged things you may eat. You shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your town so that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field, but year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand 
and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink or whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your, of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you, that you do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to this passage, um, and it seems um, a bit confusing, a, a bit hard for us to understand how it applies to us and, and how we are to walk in these ways. And it seems a bit of a strange uh, list of things that you want us to do and not to do. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you uh, instruct us this morning, help us to, to understand, believe, and put into practice exactly what you want us to understand from this passage. Help us to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Help us to see that in you, all of the law's righteous requirements are met in us because of what he has done on the cross. God, I lift up to our pastors. I pray, Father, uh, particularly for Dr. Dave, and I pray for his uh, recovery. I thank you, Lord, that he is uh, here today, and it's a testimony of your grace to him, and we thank you uh, for him, and we love him. And Lord, we lift up to you, Frank Wong, also, and uh, pray, God, that uh, you would uh, heal him of his bronchitis uh, quickly so that he can uh, return to us as well. And God, again, we, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for all the passages of the Old Testament, even if they are a bit hard for us to understand. Help us to see Jesus in them. And in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, and continuing here with uh, Frank's sermon. Uh, so he, he, first thing he says here is, I'd like to ask you all an important question. Where is the third commandment in this passage? Seems like a, a pretty reasonable question, huh? We've read 29 verses, and nowhere does it talk about taking the Lord's name in vain. It doesn't talk about speaking much at all. So how in the world is this possibly about the third commandment? If those are your thoughts, you're in fine company, because that's what I thought on Monday when I first looked at the passage. On the surface of it, there's nothing tying the, uh, this to the third commandment. Part of me was thinking to myself, oh man, I'm really going to have to stretch to make a connection this week. But actually, it's right there. Not, not because the text talks about speaking the Lord's name in vain, but because we have a wrong understanding about what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. You see, the Hebrew word translated take is nasa. It's, it's sometimes used in the sense of lifting up when making a curse or a covenant, hence the idea of speaking. But when used as it is in the third commandment, it means to bear or to carry. Thus, there's a lot more in view than just speaking the Lord's name wrongly, improperly, or profane, profanely. It's how we carry, how we bear, how we show that we belong to Christ. Rather, the senses in the third commandment fun, uh, functions to call people to worthy living. God's people are to take on or bear his name rightly. They must live in accordance with God's commands because God's name, his reputation, is at stake. 
His people bring dishonor to his name when they disobey him. Okay, now that we're looking at the third commandment as dealing with right living and guarding the glory of the Lord and the honor of his name, we can begin to understand how Deuteronomy really explains the third commandment. And this morning's structure is going to be a bit different than most Sundays. Usually we look at the text, figure out what it says, and see how it points us to the gospel. We apply that gospel understanding to our lives to wrap things up. Instead, this morning, we're going to start with the gospel. You see, Moses roots absolutely everything he says in Deuteronomy 14 in the, the identity of the Israelites as, his, as the children of God. Right up in verses 1 and 2, the Israelites are called the sons of the Lord your God. And then all of verse 2 reinforces that identity. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. This gracious identity drives the commands regarding grieving, eating, and giving that we see in chapter 14. And in each area, God's people are to be distinctive from their heathen neighbors. Their identity and their being found in God will change absolutely everything about the way in which they live. In the same way, Christians ought to understand that the gospel transforms absolutely everything. Jesus died on a cross to take the penalty for our sin. He rose again because he was perfect and did not deserve to die. When he rose again, he rose in victory over sin and death, and he rose with resurrection life. And while we were still sinners, that life was given to us in our union with him. When we are united to Christ, absolutely everything changes too. We are a new creation. We have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in us. And so because we have been raised with Christ in newness of life, we are to live as becomes followers of Christ. Our identity in Christ drives our obedience to him, our desire for righteousness and sanctification. And I'm just gonna pause for a moment in Frank's sermon and ask, do you believe that? Are you Christians and do you believe that? Do you believe that our identity in Christ is what drives us to obedience? Again, it's this Christianity isn't a list of rules. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. God does care about our conduct, but he doesn't save us by our good works. He saves us to do good works. Else all of us, when we became Christians, would have just immediately gone into heaven to be with Christ. If his whole purpose for dying for, was, for you was to save you and then bring you to heaven, then that's what would have happened when you believed. And yet we're still here, and so our conduct matters, but our conduct is an expression of our identity and our belief and our gratitude for what God has done for us. It's not a list of rules. So let me continue. And as we work our way through these three areas, grieving, eating, and giving, we are, to, we are going to see how the Israelites were called to, the, to be transformed by their identity as God's chosen people. We're also going to see how in each area, the gospel sets us apart from everyone else. So let's dive in with grieving, the first of these principles. We get direction from God about how the Israelites ought not to grieve once they enter the promised land, right here in verse one. Now the Lord understands the horror of death far better than we do. He understands how profoundly unnatural death is and how it is a curse upon humanity. After all, he is the one who inflicted that curse due to our sin. And so he understands that there are very few instances in life that compare with death 
with the death of a loved one. The absolute crushing nature of losing someone dear to you brings a weight of emotion that drives us to express just how awful death is. For the Canaanites, this meant a ritual self-mutilation through the cutting of flesh or the tearing out of hair. For the Canaanites, these practices were meant to honor their dead and in some cases, an attempt to keep in touch with the deceased person. These cultic rites were not to be imitated by the Israelites for a number of reasons. First, let's look at the reason that connects to the third commandment. Self-mutilation disfigures and desecrates the physical body. But that body was pronounced very good along with the rest of what makes up mankind. God made us in his image after all. That image was the image of God. And then God called that very good. And so the Israelites weren't to bring dishonor to God by destroying that which bears the name, reputation, and image of God. But the second reason is that even in those early days, folks had to know, the Israelites certainly had to know, that life and death belonged to the Lord. They would have had to have known about the 10th plague, which brought death to the, the, every firstborn of every family without the, lamb of, of, uh, the Lamb's blood on the doorpost during the Exodus. And they uh, would have had to have known that God's, God had the power over death. And so by trying to cheat death, by connecting with it, death would be like cheating God. But of course, the final reason why the Israelites were to be different is found in the fulfiller of the law. Jesus changed everything about the way we grieve. In John 11, he says, uh, we read, he tells us that he is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so we don't grieve without hope. Rather, we grieve knowing that our brothers and sisters in Christ do not remain in the ground, but presently rejoice with their Lord and Savior without sin and without corruption. You see, our departed loved ones have been raised with Christ. They are now alive with resurrection life, and that life is eternal, as John 3.16 tells us. And so our grief is tempered by knowing that they are in a far better place than we are and by knowing that we will see them again when we too are called home to be with the Lord. Truly, the gospel enables believers to look at death in the face and say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where, where is your victory? In Christ, we Christians can truly embrace our life and death knowing that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And all because we have been found in Christ and in God. This approach to life and death and grieving honors the Lord because it places the emphasis on who he is, what he has done, and our confidence in him. And that emphasis on God's place in our lives brings us to verses 3 through 21. Uh, in, verse, in these 19 verses, we get a pretty long list of animals and birds and fish that the Israelites could and could not eat and when it comes to food laws, the usual question is, why these animals and not these animals? Unfortunately, the rationale for the restrictions is hard to figure out since God simply lists them without reason. Some commentators think that there were health reasons. For instance, improperly cooked pork could be quite dangerous. But health reasons don't cover all the animals forbidden. After all, some of the forbidden meat could be given to foreigners. Other commentators note that some of these animals were used in Canaanite pagan cultic practices and thus a temptation for the Israelites to follow in their idolatry. 
But again, that reason fails to cover all of the animals listed. Maybe it's some combination of the two. Or maybe there is some level of arbitrariness to the selection of animals. In some ways, the food laws were meant to, to make the Israelite distinctive simply because of their obedience to the Lord and, and every aspect of their lives, even down to what they ate. These laws could have been a simple test of obedience to the Lord, a constant reminder of who they owed everything to. The point wasn't the eating or not eating, but rather the obedience, the distinctiveness, the, the ways in which they were different than the culture, the different than the Canaanites, and the same thing is true of us. It's not the list of rules, it's how we bear, how we wear, how we display, how we show that we belong to Christ and that identity being true in us should make us distinctive in some, in some way different, discernibly different than the world. For Christians on this side of the cross, we know that eating laws have been fulfilled in Christ. Jesus himself declared foods to be clean, stating in Matthew 15:11 and 18, it is not what gets, goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. So again, these food laws were meant to reveal the heart of man, to test his obedience, and to show his need for God's grace to transform him. And so for us, the underlying principle is that we are to live fully for the Lord, even with respect to how we treat our bodies and the food that we eat. We are not to be gluttons with regard to food, indulging in the goodness of taste to the point of worshiping it. And we are not to have an unhealthy relationship with food for the sake of beauty either, for that comes from a different place of idolatry. And that's hard for a lot of people. Eating disorders are rampant in our culture and an emphasis on body image can be burdensome to some, but the gospel helps us here too. Jesus understands. Jesus too was embodied and cared about our relationship to food. Think of how many times we see Jesus with food. Think about the miracles of turning water to wine and feeding of the thousands. Think of how he called for food to be brought after he brought Jairus' daughter back to life. Think about the many pictures of Jesus around a meal table. Jesus gets it. He knows how good food can be and how powerful food can be socially as well. But as with any good thing, there is always danger. You see, in grieving and here in eating, we have a temptation to sinful idolatry due to our sinful passions. And the gospel transforms that by reminding us of who we are. We are known and seen in all of our ugly sinfulness, and yet we're still loved. I'm gonna read that again. We are known and seen in all of our ugly sinfulness, and yet still loved. For the glutton, we are reminded that we are not to be controlled by the sinful passions of this world, but by the wonder of tasting and seeing that he, Jesus, is good. And for those who are consumed by their looks, the Lord sees you and he finds you to be precious. Remember in verse one, you are a treasured possession. He finds you so precious that he went to the greatest lengths of, to love you by sending his son to purchase you with his very blood. Truly Jesus is calling on us uh, calling us to him, not only to taste and see that he is good, but also to be satisfied in him. This is what it means to bear the name of God worthily. 
to take his name worthily, to love God more than you love yourself, either through the indulgence of our cravings or the sculpting of our bodies, but in, through, but in and through Christ to be satisfied and content. And that contentedness means we need to have a different relationship, not only with food, but also our possessions, which brings us to the last section, verses 22 through 29. In this section, Moses laid out the call to give a tithe to the Lord. That was one-tenth of all the harvest, which included the first fruits and firstborn of the flocks. Now, giving offerings and material possession to a deity is a pretty standard practice across religions. But, you see the, but do you see the difference between what the Lord requires you to give and what other God, small g, requires? Look, at, look with me at the end of verse 23 and 26. We are told that giving was to increase our fear of the Lord and to cause us to rejoice. <clears throat> and remember, the fear of the Lord doesn't communicate terror or dread, but rather respectful and loving awe of who God is. That sounds really different from how other deities work. You see, with every other so-called God out there, the motivation to give is either duty or manipulation. Duty in the sense that I have to. If I don't, bad things will happen. It's more about appeasement than about willful giving. And if it isn't duty, it's manipulation. I give because I want to give God, small g, uh, to give back to me in return. Of course, it's not just that I want uh, this small g God to give back to me, but to give back to me more than I gave to him or it. But for the Israelites, the giving to our God, big G, is meant to be relational. It's meant to be an opportunity to remind ourselves where our blessings come from. It doesn't come from a I scratch your back, you scratch my back arrangement, but from a pure grace. The Israelites and we are to remember that the Lord put them in the land. The Lord is the one who will defeat the wildly powerful Canaanites that they will be facing soon. The Lord is the one who will tear down the high and strong walls of the fortresses that they will assault. The Lord is the one who gives the rain, who makes the sunshine, who makes the plants grow. In short, the Lord is the one who gives them everything. Every good gift comes from him, and so their giving, while formalized, isn't a burden, but just a place to start. The, lo the Lord loves a cheerful giver, and the tithe is where we, today, can start expressing our love, our gratitude, and our thankfulness for him and his provision. The giving for the Israelite, again, isn't about the Israelite. It isn't about avoiding curses or securing blessings, but rather a response to, a gr to grace already given. That's what every good thing we have is, grace given to us. Do you see how radical this shift is? It's not about what you have and what you have to give up, but rather seeing that everything that you have is more than you deserve. Friends, we know that God has no need for our tithes or our offerings. He already owns it all. But rather, he wants us to see that he has graciously given you all that you have and more in Christ. Paul says in Ephesians that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And in Romans, he says that we are heirs, <clears throat> heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Think about that for a moment. Everything that Jesus has is yours 
everything that Jesus has is yours in your union with him. Everything, all of the riches, the righteousness, the glory, all of it. And all because of his, of the, all of this is through his grace. We don't deserve it. We overflow in rejo- uh, rejoicing and giving as a result. It's just a small token of what we'd like to express. So friends, as we wrap up this morning, it's not hard to see that our grieving, our eating, and our giving are transformed by our identity in God. For Christians, we are to see who we are in Jesus changes everything, enables us to live a life of joy, security, and generosity. And the best part is, is that he has already done the heavy lifting. You have already been transformed by the power of his grace. In Christ, by faith, you don't have to sin anymore. And instead, you can live a life worthy of his name because you'd simply be living according to who you already are. So let us not take the name of the Lord in vain in any way, through our grieving, our eating, or our giving, but rather that we might live according to the new name that the Lord God has given us, beloved child, paid for by the blood of the Son. Everything is about living out of the gospel of of Jesus Christ. Everything is about living in newness of life because of our union with him. Everything is about seeing that he has already begun to make all things new. Let us rejoice and be glad. Let us taste and see that he is good and let us be satisfied. Let's pray. Gracious, loving, heavenly Father, author of your word, creator of all things, savior of sinners. God, we thank you, Lord, for this uh, teaching today. We thank you for Frank Wong and pray that he uh, heals quickly. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for your spirit who enables us to to grasp, to understand even difficult passages. Thank you that your word uh, from cover to cover points to Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that even as you uh, demonstrated your love towards the Israelites and gave them uh, these laws to, to, to prefigure uh, Christ and to, to give us a glimpse of what you were going to do, I thank you, Father, that we can look now backward at the cross and see the, the grace that we've been given, the, the restoration that you've brought, the, the healing and the forgiveness that is ours in Christ by faith. Thank you, God, that uh, you have opened our eyes to this and that you have given us your spirit so that we might live rightly in, in a way that would honor your name. And that as we uh, bear your name, that we would do in a way uh, that is worthy of that name so that the Lord may see us and see that we are distinct, not because we're judgmental, but because we're forgiven and because we know what grace is and we know how to express grace to others. Help us, Father, to be gracious uh, as we live in a world that doesn't know you. Thank you for your word this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.